many missionary people serving beyond the border of the United States of America are in the house tonight? That that's your primary field. Just stand up if that's you. Just, amen. Let's, amen. Wow. Amen. Awesome. Amen. We salute you and we thank you for representing Jesus. Amen. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about covenant loyalty tonight. Uh, I picked four points that I'm desperately going to try to stay on. <laughs> uh, you know, some messages have bunny trail possibilities and some messages have bunny trail possibilities. So I've been asking the Lord to help uh, keep my octane contained to one track and try to stay on focus. So pray for me, okay? This is an exciting subject for me. It rings my bell, so to speak, you know. But uh, let's go to Psalm uh, 111. Thank you for the opportunity of being able to sh speak and share with you. This is uh, fun. This is a privilege. It's exciting. And uh, it's encouraging to see how we're translating this into action on the local level. That's the biggest thing. I mean, conferences are fun and they're encouraging. But, you know, I get the privilege of traveling around and being in your churches and seeing what God is doing on a local level. That's where the rubber hits the road. Amen? So uh, I'm already strategizing, planning, and seeing where we go from here. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks, Lord, with all my heart in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works, Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is His work. His righteousness endures forever. He has made His wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has given food to those who fear Him. He will remember His covenant forever. He has made known to His people the power of His works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are truth and justice. All his precepts are sure. They are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments his praise endures forever. There's an interesting fact when you read the Bible and you see covenant terminology. God uses words and terms on purpose to get our attention. And when God talks about covenant, it's interesting that He never talks about covenant in plural, only in, only in singular. His covenant. Not His covenant. Covenants. That's dispensational thinking. That's what's robbing the church from us being salt and light and robbing us from the power of the Spirit to meet the present day need. God thinks in one big picture. God is a father. God takes a snapshot. God sees a family. God sees a unit. God sees a conquest. It's not that He doesn't see the things in between, but He wants us to see this. His, his precepts are not in conflict with one another. God didn't have one thought one day and another thought another day. The Old Testament isn't when God had a bad hair day and the New Testament was God repented and said, I got a new plan. 
That is heretical to the bone. But do you realize that in the majority of evangelical churches, that is literally what is being preached, whether by omission or commission in some cases. And we wonder why we're not having the effect that we're supposed to have. So when God talks about covenant, He talks about a covenant. God has a plan. God has a book. He has a Savior. He has a people. He has a way. He has a strategy. One. He is one. He is not divisible. Hear, O Lord, hear, O people, the Lord your God is one Lord. Amen? He is, He has integrity in Himself. There's not a shifting shadow. He is immutable. That is His nature. Not subject to change. Yet we look at what is happening in the church world. We see a demonstration of some of the anointings and giftings and talents and strategies. Yet in spite of this, 50% of confessed believers do not even attend church. A large portion of formerly spirit-filled believers have regressed into play-it-safe, seeker-friendly atmospheres where it's consumer-based. 50% of evangelicals do not vote. Sexual promiscuity among our youth in the church is no different than sexual promiscuity among the world. One-third of an entire 40-year generation has been murdered in the name of choice. A third of our generation, more than the population of Canada. Why are we not having the effect? I believe it has to do with the subject that I've been assigned tonight. I believe it has to do with understanding the covenant of God. Now, let me read to you the Jesus version of that. Okay? Matthew 5.17. Let's look at that for a minute. Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. Now, here's what this means. Do not think this. Do not think. This is Jesus. Jesus said, whatever you do, don't think this. Yet how many times have you heard people say, oh, that's in the Old Testament. Okay, so what's your point? Hallelujah. He said, do not think. So if you're thinking that, if there's something in you that when you read the Old Testament, you think, well, that's not as good as the New Testament, you are thinking wrong. We read Psalm 111 about the covenant. He talked about truth. He talked about righteousness. He talked about commandments. He talked about studying it. He said, this is my covenant. This is His covenant. We come in by divine invitation. I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy them. They are not obsolete. I have come to fulfill them. I've come to bring them into full manifestation. I'm coming to discharge them to my church, to make them ambassadors of the covenant, to give them kingdom authority, to go to the nations and give them holy living. Hallelujah. Let's keep reading. For assuredly, I say to you, until heaven and earth passes away, 
Not one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from all the law until it's fulfilled. Now, I don't know about you, but when I came in here, the earth and the heavens were still here tonight. Now, is this literal or is he filling pages? This is Jesus making sure that his followers understand something. That God has one plan and Christ's ascension to earth, his manifestation on this planet is to fulfill that plan. God has not changed his idea or his ID. When Adam blew it, God didn't say, that's it, I'm done. He continued to rescue generation after generation as he does now because God is who he is and he cannot abandon himself. Hallelujah. Let's keep reading. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments. That's the C word in church. Oh, brother, we believe in grace around here. Good, then you're empowered to keep the commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, Jesus said. See, that's what Jesus said. Okay? And teachers who breaks these commandments and teaches men shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches, say this with me, does and teaches. So this is what you're required to teach according to Jesus. Them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes, or the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. That sounds like a pretty profound warning to me. It sounds like something we should be on guard that we don't fall into this dispensational thing, this disconnected thinking of so much that is being suggested today. Look at the last verse in Romans 3, Romans 3.31, just to add a little bit to this so you don't understand this. And this is the epistle of grace, remember? Romans 3.31. Do we think, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. We establish the covenant of God. When we walk in grace, when we walk in faith, when we walk in power, we're establishing the covenantal law of God. That is not a subjective standard. That is an objective standard that God teaches us how to live. We don't make it up as we go. We don't say, well, I feel good about it, you feel good about it, so therefore it's okay. No, God has a standard that, that we've got to affect the world with. How can we have great manifestations of the Holy Spirit and the house of God and our community not even know we're there? There's something wrong in our belief system that leads to a lack of demonstration that we've got to talk about tonight as far as covenant is concerned. Now let's talk a little bit about the difference between covenant and contract. Because I hear, I hear things that need to be addressed. Okay? They do have some similarities. Okay? Both are binding. Both are voluntary. Both are based on mutual agreement. Both con contract and covenant. But a contract is based on mutual benefit. You do something for me, I'll do something for you. And we've turned the church into a retail outlet by saying, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. And when you stop doing this for me, then I'm out of here. 
when I don't get the benefit that I'm looking for, then our agreement has come to an end. I leave. That's a contract. People break contracts all the time when they don't get what they want. But covenant is not based on that. A covenant is different. I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why it's different. Number one, a covenant is not the agreement between two people. That is a misnomer. A covenant always includes a third person. It's called a third-party beneficiary. Okay? If I say to Mike, Mike, after the service tonight, if you drive me down to Red Lobster, I'll buy. That's a contract. Okay? If I say to Mike, Mike, if you drive me down to Red Lobster, you and I, we're going to get down there and we're going to feed all the homeless, hungry people that are down around there. That's a covenant. There's a third-party beneficiary. Somebody is going to benefit from you and I coming together. It's not merely a mutual blessing. It's a third-party blessing. It's a third-party investment. Hallelujah. It looks like this. Redeemer to the redeemed to the unredeemed. It's not real complicated. The blessing is not to be held. The covenant is not to be held in us, but it's to be passed on. We are constantly focused on the third-party beneficiary. Why is God doing what He's doing? Not just what is God doing what He's doing. Hey, I love, you know, I mean, I love all the, all the stuff that happens, the good stuff. I mean, I love the moving of the Spirit. I love uh, incredible worship. I love to be stirred up. I love to be knocked down. I love to be picked up, you know. I mean, I'm just, you know, it, you know it, I mean, I love Pentecostal camp meetings. I love charismatic spasms. I love it all, hallelujah. But I'll tell you, somebody has got a benefit from it. God intends when He sows it, to reap it, he's a wise master and he's a wise leader. Now see, that's why marriage is not a contract, it's a covenant, because there's a third party beneficiary. The reason that divorce is so high in the church is we got men and women think that it's based on them getting something out of that other person rather than them contributing to a third party. That third party being their children and then the party of that being the culture, being society. By the way, that's why there's a state interest. Let's follow, this, let's follow this line of thinking. If it's a covenant, and it is, and our marriage produces children, okay, and those children contribute to society, then that becomes a state interest to guard that. That moves the church, are you ready to this, into the political realm. That moves the church into the legislative realm. That makes it a gospel issue. Do you understand that? It's a gospel issue because it's a God issue. And if somebody comes along and tries to redefine it as anything less than God define it, let God be true and every man be a liar. See, sometimes we respond to these things based out of human offense, and we should be offended. But we've got to get to the next level. We see this is an assault against the covenant, the everlasting covenant, the one and only covenant, the one who can back up his covenant, and we are covenant partners to defend that covenant and spread that covenant in Jesus' name. See, sometimes we got the, we got the what right, but we don't even have the why right yet. God wants to develop our thinking, but we've got to embrace God's law and statutes and truth in order to be able to do that. Now, isn't it interesting? What is the number one reason 
why people are in jail today. What is the most common denominator of men and women in jail? They don't have a father. 50% of children born in America today are born in families that are not married. 50% across every social economic issue, almost in every community. It's actually like 51%, I think, is the actual number at last reading. We've got to understand this is an issue. Now, there's another aspect to covenant that I think we miss. It's easy to miss. Look at Hebrews 7.7 7 with me for a minute. See, a contract, anybody can initiate a contract. I can go to Dick and I say, hey, Dick, I want to... I want to build a house for you. And if you pay me so much money, no, I didn't say I was going to. I'm just using an illustration, Dick. He said, great. He's trying to, he's trying to, he's going to say, you said in front of a bunch of people you're going to build a house for me. So you've got to watch these missionary types, you know what I mean? It's like being in an auction and you move and you bought it, you know what I'm saying? You flinch. You're going to Africa. I didn't say that. Hallelujah. <laughs> Or it could be something as simple as, hey, I'll buy you a pizza, you know? I mean, but listen, Hebrews 7.7, 7, let's look at this. This is talking about why the tithe is still in vogue today, by the way. Okay? Just, just for reference. Why the law of God and God's plan is still in operation, okay? He says, now beyond all contradiction, this is talking about Abraham and Melchizedek, Okay? Beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better or by the greater, I think the King James says. See, that's a covenant condition. Listen to me for a second. Only the greater can initiate a covenant. Anybody can initiate a deal. But only the greater. When God says, I make a promise that I'm not going to destroy the earth with water anymore... Only God can make that promise. You can't make that promise. You can't go to God and say, listen, i got a deal for you. But we hear that kind of stuff all the time, don't we? So you've got to be invited into a covenant relationship. There's got to be somebody that's more superior than you are in whatever setting that happens to be that invites you in. Now, if God's law, I want you to think about this for a minute, God's commandments are not superior over us. If they're not what's reigning over us, if they are not the thing that determines what right and wrong is, what good and evil is, then we've loaded, so we've automatically just lowered everything to a contractual exchange, which any circumstance, you know, can invalidate or, or change. It's not going to be forever like the covenant is going to be forever. Let me give you an apostolic view of this. In 1 Corinthians 12. Let's look at that for a minute. It's kind of the same principle. 2 Corinthians 12, I'm sorry. Now for the third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours, but you for the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Here's this principle. Who's greater? The parents are greater. Who initiates the relationship? The parent does. I was thinking about this one day. We have eight children of our own. Hallelujah. And when I, you know, had our, our sons and our daughters and started walking around with them when they're little kids, I'd say, this is my daughter. This is my son. That went on for years before they ever responded and said, Dad. 
I want you to think about that. That's prophetic. And what happens the first time they say our name? They burp or they toot and we think they said our name. Did you hear that? They said our name. No, they didn't. They had gas. But when they say our name, they're responding to something that the greater has invited them into. We are covenantally prophesying to them. We're inviting them into a relationship. Now, there's a lot of apostolic philosophy out there. Okay? But... We're very immature in the body of Christ of walking some of these things out because it's a very, it's, it's relationally intense. Okay, it takes personal investment just like the Apostle Paul is ascribing to this very carnal church, by the way. Isn't that interesting? The people he chooses to use this illustration with. So if we're going to be men and women that have spiritual sons and daughters, Listen, the first rule is we've got to invite them into our sphere. We've got to invite them into our life. We can't wait till they get with the program. We can't put some subjective hoops out there and say, when they jump through that hoop, then they'll pass the grade and they can be in my little group. Oh, this is good preaching. Thank you, Pastor Keith. I went to one meeting to meet this apostolic company. And uh, brother said to me afterwards, he said, did you, did you meet those guys? I said, I met one guy. So you talking about? I said, I met one guy all dressed up in, this, in different bodies. I said, they're clones. They're not disciples. They've been taught to say the right thing, do the right thing, feel the right thing. They've got conditioned responses just like we do in some churches. If you do something, people fall over. I threw that in for no extra charge. <laughs> Some of you think they're falling in the power. Most of it's just conditioned response. Oh, my goodness. Am I allowed to say that? I just did. Oh, well. I got some people I just say, do you just stand up while I pray for you? That'll set them free. Some people need to fall over. Some I can help. But see, the, the lesser is blessed by the greater. We have the power of blessing when we're walking in covenant. And it's a relationship that comes by invitation, not by performance. Now, when the invitation, now listen, when the invitation is accepted and there's agreement to the terms... This is what it means to be part of the team. This is what it means to be a member of this church. This is what it means to be a believer. Now we come into enforcement of those terms and clarity to those terms and nourishing those terms. But first we invite them in. Jesus didn't go to us to listen. Get your act together. Get cleaned up. Quit sinning. And you can get saved. All right, all right. Nor did he say you can get saved and it don't matter what you do. He didn't say that either. He said you get saved. I'm going to clean you up. Hallelujah. I'm going to save you from your sin. I'm going to save you from yourself. And I'm going to save you from me. Hallelujah. Amen? So that's the process. The lesser invite, or the greater inviting the lesser in. Prophesying to them. Bringing life to them. 
You know, I got, I got, I got to honestly tell you, you know, uh, that's one of the things that, that Brother Rod and Mary so demonstrate. That they'll know everything about you and love you anyway. You can't make that up. You can't fake that. Are you with me? See, that's not an emotion. That's not a personality stuff. That's not what beavers do and, or otters do and lions don't. Give me a break. You know what that is? That's covenantal theology manifesting itself. That's a belief system that is living itself out as an epistle. Bringing the blessing, carrying the covenant in Jesus' name. See, that's why the last prophecy of the Old Testament is, I will restore the hearts of the fathers to the children. What's he saying there? I'm continuing this promise. I have not stopped. I have not dropped. I have not changed my mind. I have a plan that will work. Hallelujah. Point number two. <laughs> a covenantal mindset is a warrior mindset. It produces words. You cannot believe in the covenant of God and not have a warrior mentality. Jesus used two worlds, two words. I mean, he used a lot more than that. But there are two words he used that absolutely put the political powers, the cultural powers, and the demons' powers on notice that he intended to take over. In about 300 B.C., that's before Christ, not before the common era, by the way, That's what they're teaching your kids in school now, if you, if you know that or not. B.C. isn't before Christ, it's before the common era. Did you know that? <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. Just change history, just add a letter. Poof. About 300 B.C. is when the word apostle first appears in Greek literature. It's a distinctly Greek word. It's not a derivative of another language. And the first manifestation of that word was a military unit that was sent to spy out another land for invasion purposes. They were called an apostolic team. As time went on, it referred to a naval armada that was a bombardment invasion team that where they could launch the, what we call the Marines. They could launch the foot soldiers from seafaring warfare. And then over time, to Christ's time, it began to refer to the leader of that naval armada, the apostle, who was the leader, who was the director of that. So here's Jesus. You know, sweet, loving Jesus with the little sheep over his, over his shoulder, you know, who, who, who looks like he needs a bath. and uh, You know that Jesus? Jesus shows up on the scene and without conferring with anybody, without having a media meeting with Caesar or taking a popularity vote in the synagogue, Jesus shows up and appoints 12 apostles. Now I want you to let that soak in for a minute. That was my dear friend. 
my soft, lovely Christian sweethearts. Listen to me. That was a declaration of intention of invasion. You know what he did when he did that? Listen. He renewed the covenant of the 12 tribes of Israel that were set for the purpose of dominion. Now, it's not the number 12 that's magic. Jesus picked 12 because they had 12. And He was prophesying to them that plan A is still in effect and the commission to take over and rule and drive the giants out and make them serve us instead of us serve them was still going to happen. And that's why I've come to planet Earth. I didn't just come to rescue a couple people and slide them out while nobody was looking. I mean, do you, you wonder why those Pharisees got upset. Who's Jesus again? He doesn't just come preaching. He just doesn't have a doctrine. He's setting up a new government. This man is out of his mind. He's got 12 men, tax collectors, fishermen, and he's going to take over. And you know what? He hasn't changed his mind because he has one covenant. He has one statute. He has one law. He has one redemptive plan. He is one Lord. He has one church. He has one people. And we're it by invitation. The greater has blessed the lesser. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. It gets better. Now he comes along and he uses another word. And when I was in Bible school, they told me this word doesn't mean anything. They were wrong about that. The word church, ecclesia, ecclesia. They said, oh, that's just any group of people that met in Jewish culture. Er, wrong answer. Now, it is true that there were a lot of ecclesias in Greek culture. They were unions, they were guilds, they were uh, artisan groups. But each one of these had a code of conduct. They legislated within their ranks. They picked their members. There, there was a standard of being a part of that group, and that group had clear intentions. You didn't join the ecclesia of the Musicians Guild and come in and say, well, I don't want to do music. I want to read poetry. Wrong club. Go, get, go to that one down the street. Go to that other fraternity. That's where it comes from. Hello? So here comes Jesus. Hold God's wrecking ball. Not this little shepherd limping around looking for a couple of flea-bitten sheep to follow him. Here comes Jesus. And he said, I tell you, I will build my church. And the gates of hell... Now, now unless you doubt my interpretation here, listen to what he says. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That tells me that whatever you believe, you got to believe that Jesus believed that whatever he was doing, he was going to ram the gates of hell with it. 
That's why God gives us such hard heads. Hallelujah. So we can ram those gates in Jesus' name. That's why you got the helmet of salvation. That's not a hear no evil, speak no evil. Please don't tell me anything bad's going on out there. Come on now. I will, listen. You know, you know what the most powerful word I've mentioned tonight is? The word my. My covenant. My command. My church. You know what Jesus said to them? This isn't yours. You don't get to decide. You don't get a vote. This is mine. And the greater wants to bless the lesser by inviting them to have a part of it. Hallelujah. Two words. One is an invasion force, the apostle. The second is an occupation force called the church. To were to invade and were to occupy when? Until things get bad. No, until Jesus comes, amen? We're to occupy, we're to multiply, we're to influence, we're to do, we're to spread. Hallelujah. Amen. That's what he said. He's never withdrawn that from us. That's the warrior mindset. If you believe the Bible, you've got to believe these things. Hallelujah. Jesus, in two words, made it very clear what his agenda was. Yet here we are 2,000 years later and we can't figure it out. Do you know why? Because we've divorced ourselves from the covenant. We've said that stuff doesn't count anymore. I was reading a book this week. I'll tell you, I was so mad I was foaming at the mouth. That's a pretty picture. This guy was suggesting, I mean, this is a man, I mean, yeah, I, mean I mean, he got out of bed that day. He had some brains, I guess. He knows how to write. He was suggesting that the New Testament church had no Jewish roots. I'm not making this up. It's too bizarre to make up. Had no Jewish roots and that the apostles operated on total revelation. Now, I don't know what book he's reading, but it's not the Bible. Because when Peter got up and preached on the day of Pentecost, he preached out of seven Old Testament texts, quoted or referenced almost 50 Old Testament verses. And what he was saying is, you know that covenant? It's still on, boys! Specifically, Psalm 110, waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. Well, hello? Shouldn't that give us a hint of the agenda and the intention of God's invasion force, of God's occupying force? But see, if we divorce ourselves from His covenant, if it just becomes experiential, if it just becomes contractual, what do I get out of this? It, it becomes consumer-based religion, not an eternal mandate from a holy God who will not take defeat. Somebody's going to crash the gates of hell. Why don't, why don't we just make it us and get her over with? <laughs> Hallelujah. I don't want to be in heaven watching them do what I should have done. Hallelujah. I don't want to be the welcoming committee. I want to be on the fire squad. Hallelujah. 
Let me shift gears. True covenantalism reflects God's character. Let's look at a couple verses. Galatians 3.15. I call Galatians 3 the intersection of the New Testament. It's the intersection of covenantal language. It's the understanding of God's process and God's purpose. And how He, His intention is for us. And He says this, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant. Okay? Yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. I want you to look at that. He said, if, even if it's just a man's covenant, no one annuls or adds to it. Let me give you a little illustration. How many people here have ever had a mortgage? Okay. Have you ever read everything in that mortgage? No, you haven't. You're just so glad that they took a risk on you, you just signed the paper. And you're out of there, right? There's all kind of conditions in there. And some of them are triggered by certain events. But you could fill those events, and it's a done deal. You pay the taxes, you pay the deed, you, you, you pay all these things, you do these things, you pay it off. But those things are still there. They are still a part of it, even when they've been fulfilled. They are still a part of what the deal is. Are you with me? So is true in the kingdom of God. It is still part and parcel of everything we are and everything we're not and everything we hope to be. We cannot annul it. We cannot take it away. Hallelujah. It is there forever and ever. It is the truth of God. He didn't put those things in just to torture those poor Israelis. See, I, th I think about things like this. Do you think about things like this? Brother Keith, you got too much time in your hands. No, I don't. Trust me. Let's look at Ephesians 1 for a minute. Let's see the spiritual side of this, if I could use that terminology. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom you have believed, and you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Where did the Holy Spirit come from, by the way? The Holy Spirit of what? Promise. Where was He promised? In the covenant. Hallelujah. Let's keep rolling. Next verse. Who is the guarantee? That's covenantal language. Who is the guarantee or the earnest or the pledge, depending on your translation, of our redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory? Let me put this in street terms. The Holy Spirit is the down payment in your life that God's going to finish the job that He started. Hallelujah. That's what he's saying here. This is God's earnest. This is God's pledge. This is God's commitment. That when you got filled with the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit regenerated you, regenerated you into salvation, it wasn't over. That was the contract. Now comes the covenant. Why did he fill you with the Holy Spirit? So you'd go from the Redeemer to the redeemed to the unredeemed. There'd be a third-party benefit in what God has done with you. God backs up His guarantees. Where did this guarantee start? That He would put His Spirit in all flesh. Hallelujah. What did they preach at Pentecost? This is the promise that you have heard from the prophet Joel. I'm glad He can get up and say, remember all that Old Testament stuff? Those guys didn't know what they were talking about. That doesn't apply to us today. God had a different mind. God had a different thought. That, how confusing is that? It must be confusing because it's got us going in circles instead of a straight line. 
We're doing tours past the gates of hell instead of attacking them. See, the immutability of God cannot be brought into question. See, that's why we have weird people in our churches. That's why we have people saying things like, the Lord led me to do this, and the Lord led me to that. Listen to me. That is a symptom of a belief system that is inconsistent with the covenant and character of God. Because they believe there's a subjectivity to this rather than an objective standard that God is leading us to that must be filtered by the Word of God. We say things like, well, it's got to be from the Word. Yeah, but it's got to be the whole Word. Amen? And the more you get this into you, the more you understand this, the more you're going to have belief systems and demonstration systems and conviction systems in your life that Jesus lords over. You know, I tell people all the time, I do things I don't like sometimes. I say, I'm sorry you have to forgive me. I'm just a victim of my theology. Hallelujah. And I, I, I mean that from the depths of my spirit. There are things that the Holy Spirit through the Word of God is so ingrained in me, it's not a matter of feeling. It's a matter of mandate. Do you understand me? I can eventually only do what I really believe, and the promise is we've got a lot of people who are believers in our church who don't really believe. They don't have anything to believe except their experiences. And when their experiences go away, they go away. Here's the sadder news. We've got a whole generation of fivefold ministry that's just about in the same place. Selah. God's character does not change. The only way you can really believe that is if you believe His covenant does not change. You cannot say, God had a good idea here or a bad idea here. He remodeled it here. But by the way, God doesn't change. See, we've taught people by demonstration. That their opinion is as good as God's. Because God's opinion will change too. That might be a little overboard. But it's not far off the mark, my friend. Let me ask you a question. When the Apostle Paul said to the young Apostle Timothy, study to show yourself approved, what was he referring to study? The book of Ephesians? I don't think so. How about that great book, the book of Numbers? Yes! Study to show yourself what? Approved. 
All Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, is given by inspiration. And what was he talking, what Scripture would that have been? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Not yet. The Word of God, the only Word they had, the only thing they preached from, the Law and the Prophets. One covenant. They understood that. They grappled with some applications. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about, by the way. It's grappling with the applications of that. That's what we ought to be fighting about today. That's what we ought to be iron sharpening iron about. Well, how do we apply that today? How does that work today? Not it doesn't count. It doesn't count? What do you mean it doesn't count? How do you... Which one doesn't count? Which one do you like? I don't like him. Malachi, he's Italian. I don't like Italian prophets. Habakkuk. How come nobody names their kid Habakkuk? How come there's no little Habakkuks running around? Well, let's take him out. He had a funny name. I mean, we work overtime to complicate this. God is holy. His covenant is holy. His laws are holy. His statutes are holy. His principles are holy. And you know what? He wants His people to be holy. And the only way we will be holy, singular, by the way, is the root word of holy. Singular. Not just clean. Singular. Is that we understand who He is and what He's trying to do. God has not regressed. He did not change His mind in the New Testament. Hallelujah. Jesus did not come preaching another message. Let me go to the last point. Let me just throw one other thing in here. I actually looked at my notes there and saw there was something I was supposed to say. That's why your word is so important. Because you emulate Him. Do you understand the incredible turbo integrity it would bring to the body of Christ that when we said something, people actually believed us? When we went to visit our state legislator and said, Dear, dear sir or ma'am, I just want to share with you, if you do this, you're going to be standing in the unemployment line. And they believed us because we were going to do it. Not just because we had an emotional thrill and got stirred up because Bill Shanks told us that's what we should do. Oh, this is good preaching. Are you with me? That we went to a young man and said, if you go forward, I will go with you. And we had a track record of going with those who we invited into our covenant relationship. That when we told our children that if they would give all to Christ, that there would be great blessing and reward, and then let them do it while we bit our fingernails in the background. Hallelujah. You know, the problem with Christian kids is not the kids, it's the parents. You've got that figured out, right? It took me a while to catch on to that, but I figured it out after a while. They want them to be nice Christians. Go to work 40-hour Christians. Pay your tithe. Go to church twice 
a week Christians, have 3.1 baby Christians, whatever it is. They, but, you know, quit your job, go to the mission field, give 50% of your income away, have more than three babies. Are you out of your mind? Yes! Pray for me that I get worse! Your word. And God will test you on your word. And he'll back your word up. See, that's the place God wants to bring us to. That we are so filled with God's word and God's covenant and God's confidence that when we speak the word, we believe. Not our word. Not our vain imaginations about ourselves, but the word of the Lord. That God will show up as a messenger of the covenant living through us and he will enforce that word in Jesus' name. The Bible talks about he who swears to his own hurt and will not change. He's the one that will have the favor of God. And we will get tested in those things. We had a girl, uh, uh, when I was leading Operation Rescue, a young lady came to us with her pastor's blessing and said, I, I want to come and serve you guys. And we were like, come on. Hallelujah. We need all help we get. And she was a dynamo. She was a young woman. She could cook. She could clean. She could type. She could, I mean, she was like, you know, multi-gifted. Uh, she lived with us. She served in the office. I mean, we had five ladies working off. She took over the office, ran. It was, she, she was incredible, you know? And I had committed for a, to, to, to be committed to that ministry for a four-year period. And, uh, you know, we were getting close to then. We were about three years in. And she said, you know, uh, she wanted to go to nursing school. That was her dream. That was her desire. You know, she had made a three-year mission commitment, you know, to serve and help. And, uh, you know, that time was coming. And I went and I sat down with her. I said, listen, I really need you. I'll make you a deal. <laughs> I said, if you'll give that extra year, we'll pay for your we'll pay for your nursing school when you're done. And that was great. Because you know it was great? Because I had the money to do it. And then something tragic happened. I got a call from the FBI that told me my insurance agent had been arrested. He had cleaned all my retirement out. He had cashed my life insurance out. And we were broke. We had nothing. Everything we had ever saved was gone. This guy had all... Not only that, he ran up, multiplied thousands of dollars on false credit applications. He knew everything about me. He, might, he knew my date of birth. He was my insurance agent. Man, I was reeling. We were in warfare. You know what I'm saying? And I've got this promise out there to this young lady who's given her life. Penny said, what are we going to do? So we're going we're gonna to do our word. What else are we going to do? We made her a promise. We're in covenant. You know? We spoke a blessing on her. We, and whatever we're going to do, somehow, we never said, oh God, if you give us the money, then we'll do it. That wasn't part of the deal. Are you with me? Listen to me, pastors. It's a fine work. It's a fine work. But you've got to be in covenant with God first. You're going to be a servant of God to the people, not a servant of the people to God. They've got to be the beneficiary party. And you've got to do it as unto the Lord. And He will supply. The long story short is, somehow, some way, the Lord enabled us to keep our pledge and keep our commitment.
And I wish I could tell you today that, that that girl's not even serving God today. She got hooked up with a guy. I warned her. There's a guy in the church. Can you imagine? I'll tell you exactly what I said to her. I said, listen, this guy is not going to marry you. He loves himself too much. There's no room for you. That's exactly what I told her. A month before the wedding, he canceled. It devastated her. And today, she's not serving God. That's like a slap in the... That's like insult to injury. I wish I could tell you, oh yeah, she's serving God today because, you know, Penny and I were sacrificial and we did without things so we could... She's not even serving God today. But life is not over yet. Hallelujah. Amen? (laughs) But that's not my business. I kept my word. God will bless you when you keep your word. God is looking for men and women that will be women of their word. But listen, we can't really do that if we don't believe God is a God of His word. If we believe He said things He really didn't meant that He changed His mind later and it really doesn't mean that and we've got some wild, bizarre spiritual application and it's in the Old Testament it doesn't count, Give me a break. That's inconsistent. That's a lack of integrity. We're not talking about mind over matter here. We're not talking about just being stubborn. We're talking about a belief system that is so developed that it compels us to charge those gates in Jesus' name. Let me finish up. The last point is Why must the church walk out covenantal integrity to have legitimate authority in effect? Maybe the better question would be, how does the church do that? Here's the answer. In every covenant, there's a sacrifice. And guess who it is today? See, Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice for salvation. But that doesn't mean we've been, we as his followers no longer sacrifice. You've heard that taught. We don't even have to be inconvenienced according to some people. I think discipleship is predicated on being inconvenienced. The people I'm discipling, I say, well, how long have you been since you've been inconvenienced? If it's not been 24 hours, you're probably backslidden. I believe that. <laughs> See, covenant loyalty on the human level can only manifest itself when we have covenant integrity with God. Otherwise, we're just in a contract, and when it gets bad, we leave. Covenant loyalty starts with God. He is who He says He is. He will do what He says He'll do. Hallelujah. And He wants that so ingrained in us that we just go and act like Him. Just like our kids act like us. Except sometimes they act like my wife. Brother Rod told me to say that. 
That's the push that moves us beyond a stagnant place of just being blessed and turns us into the blessing. That which we yearn for, whether you understand or not, if you're, if you're a five-fold person and you got on a plane or you got in your car and you packed your bags and you came here, there was something deeper than a conference that drew you to this place. There's something that your heart is yearning for, a connection, a loyalty, a covenant, a belonging, a people, a person, a connection. And we can approach it contractually like we do marriage sometimes. So if you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. And if you're not nice to me, I'll pretend like you're not there. Or we can do it covenantally and say, God has put us together, Pastor Kevin. And there's going to be some third-party beneficiary. We're going to torture the devil in Jesus' name. He's going to benefit from us. Hallelujah. He's going to meet a demise. Hallelujah. <laughs> Are you with me? There's some people and places and things that are going to receive the kingdom of God. Because we've decided to come together. We've sown our life. And there's a sacrifice that we understand that we follow our Lord in to make that live and come out of us. Hallelujah. That's what covenant is. It's not a feeling. It's a manifestation of of who we believe God is in us. That's what covenant is. Did you ever catch yourself just doing things? You're just doing them. And I'm not talking about bad things. I'm talking about good things. And you're doing it, and you're thinking, why am I doing this? This is not self-serving. This is not going to help me. This is not going to bless me. People are not going to like me because of this. And you're doing it anyway. You become a victim of what you believe. Welcome to the covenant zone. Hallelujah. Jesus did not come looking for followers. Jesus came looking for covenant brothers and sisters. He came looking for covenant partners. Hallelujah. He came and said, I think I'll start by declaring war and I'll just get me 12 apostles and we'll start there. The greater bless the lesser by inviting them in in their undone state, making a promise to finish them what he started. I want to end with this tonight. God is going to finish what he started in you. Not because you got it together. Because he is who he said he is. That is just not... We just, we just, we just insist on making things more complicated than that. God is who he says he is and he will do what he said he will do. He is the pledge, the Holy Spirit of my divine inheritance. Hallelujah.
He is. Not my skill, not my gifting, not my experience, not my natural resources. He is. Hallelujah. And He's going to live through me in Jesus' name. Amen? Stand up with me tonight.